You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1230 of the Lots of Hawks podcast. I'm your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday into Thursday. And thank you for listening to this podcast and joining us as always and making us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, among other places on the podcast platform of your choice. And really, the Atlanta Hawks are now officially in autism mode. If you missed it on Tuesday evening into Wednesday, I talked all about game five with a little bit of a look toward the future, but that was the elimination game for the Hawks. Obviously, a summer mood around the facility um, after that game as they traveled back to Atlanta. And then quickly, Wednesday morning, what really became Wednesday midday, for the most part, the Hawks held exit interviews with all the players. And then the players, as always, came and talked to the media. That was concluded by Nate McMillan talking to the media and Travis Schleich talking to the media. Um, and because this is a video a video medium, I'm not going to play all that audio for you. I will say as a, a plug for a friend of mine and a friend of the show, uh, Kevin Chenard of Hawks.com and also ATL and 29 dropped all of the raw audio on his feed. So if you want to listen to everything, it's like two hours worth of audio that is available to you. But I will uh, give you the Cliff's Notes version on today's podcast. I'll talk about sort of my own takeaways from what was said and look ahead to the future as well. Not a full-blown offseason preview at this point in time. There's plenty of time for that when it comes to salary cap stuff and roster management, who's a free agent, who's not. We'll, we'll talk about a little bit of that stuff today, and we'll get into the draft starting next week. So thank you for joining us as always. But lots of themes that I sort of took from all of the comments uh, and most guys spoke, as you might imagine. But um, one of the themes that I thought kind of permeated things was that a lot of guys on the roster from the players to Nate to Travis kind of reflected on how much harder it was to repeat the success that they had the previous year and having that different target on their back, basically, as a team who already made that run. And um, that was been, that was actually a theme early in the season when they were struggling as well, especially the veteran guys, Capella, Bogdanovich, Gallinari in particular, kind of referenced that as like, look, we weren't maybe ready um, for, for this kind of level of uh, scrutiny and also the pr- kind of pressure that comes with being a team that's already kind of quote-unquote made it. And uh, guys, as we'll talk about later on, mentioned that in different ways. Um, also, people kind of reference this over and over again as well. I think it's definitely there's something to that. Um, the short offseason for the Hawks last year after making that run and also the compressed schedule uh, going in, uh, sort of c- coming out of the pandemic and all the challenges that came from the year before that. Um, the fact that they have all their guys healthy and conditioned, there were all, all, all sorts of offseason procedures, which, which we talked about a lot at the time. Capella, Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Okongwu, et cetera, they were not full strength early in the season. That definitely cost them as well. Also, in terms of stuff that was sort of a theme, a lot of credit for Miami, as it should have been. I made sure to do that a little bit on uh, Tuesday evening into Wednesday after after Game 5 as well. But the Heat played great, for the, especially defensively in that series. They flummoxed the Hawks. Um, obviously, there's stuff to pick on on Atlanta side as well. They should have played better um, from top to bottom, from Trey Young to Nick McMillan to everything else that was going on there. They should have played better, but Miami was quite good. And a lot of uh, people were sort of passing on that they were impressed with the Heat and the way they played defensively in the entire series. Also, to a man... Pretty much everyone said they have no concerns about Trey Young moving forward and that they all know he'll put in the work to uh, rectify things. They sort of acknowledged it, that he didn't play well, obviously, for the most part in that series. But uh, no one's concerned about Trey. Neither am I. Obviously, he's a superstar player. We saw him play incredibly well in the playoffs the previous year. So it's not a a playoff um, concern for Trey, but a bad series for him. And obviously, it's something that certainly cost them at that point in time, but uh, no real concerns moving forward. So 
what we're going to do, I'll, I'll sort of go like player by player, individual by individual, talking about what was said, hitting the highlights as I saw them and read them and listen to them and watch them and all that fun stuff. I went through all this audio and uh, a couple times, actually. So it was a long night on Wednesday. But alas, um, we'll start with Travis Schlenk. Obviously, he's the head of the organization beyond Tony Ressler. Uh, Tony doesn't always speak at these things, really never speaks to the media as a whole. Um, Tony will occasionally do a um, sort of a small sit down with the AJC or the Athletic, et cetera. But he's not ever going to address the media core, whereas Travis does. And he's, of course, the principal decision maker on the basketball side. He opened it up. By talking about the fact the Hawks had sort of, at least in his mind, took a while in terms of finding that consistent effort that they had to have this year. They didn't have it early in the season in his mind, and thought that was part of the issue. You might remember that during the season, Travis went on the radio a few times, in particular one um, time that made the national rounds, and really questioned his team in terms of um, the way that they performed, the way they were sort of paying attention to detail and giving the effort, and also questioned out loud whether he should have brought everybody back. That was some frustration talking, for sure. But Travis uh, sort of repeated, at least in kind return, but certainly did not hesitate to bring that back up on his exit interview um, sort of discussion with the media. He talks about the fact that growth is not always linear in the NBA, so that I've always said a long time as well. Like you can't always assume a steady progression, especially in the positive realm. And he used Miami as an example of that. Um, so did Bogdanovich later on in his, uh, his uh, speaking to the media. But uh, basically the Heat last year got absolutely walked by the Bucks in the first round, got swept. And uh, both those guys, and I think maybe even another guy or two, talked about the fact that the Heat did that, and they were able to come out sort of sort of bounce back. So it's a pretty easy narrative, but certainly growth is not linear, as we saw this year for the Hawks after they made the big sh- the, the big jump last year. Young team, you expect that to sort of continue, and obviously it didn't happen quite that same way this year. Uh, on the player side, Schlink got some questions about some guys, as you might imagine. His availability was actually pretty short, um, only like six, seven minutes. Nate McMillan was uh, three times that long, just for reference point. Part of that's just that the way that Nate speaks versus the way that Travis speaks in terms of just like, uh, you know, filibustering in, in some respects. But in terms of DeLon Wright, who's a pending free agent, by the way, um, Travis talked about how he's always been a big fan of DeLon's game. And has the, he talks about his instincts, and he uh, used the term winning plays, making uh, – winning plays and doing the little things, which of course I've been saying for a very long time. Uh, obviously I echo that sentiment. Does that mean he's going to sign DeLon to a huge contract? He's a free agent. That certainly matters, but uh, it was good to see him sort of uh, praise DeLon in that fashion on a Kong Wu who uh, made an interesting comment that we'll talk about later about his jump shot, but he was asked about a Kong Wu in particular. He said the biggest thing he's looking for Travis is from a Kong Wu next year is that defensive rebounding uh, has been a key concern. And that's something that I talked about a ton. And he told Akongwu that in the extra interview as well, according to what he was telling the media. He does believe, though, because Akongwu has already proven as an offensive rebounder, that that's sort of a good indication of what he's able to do defensively. It's not always the same in terms of uh, you know traits to be able to do both things, but it's certainly not a bad indicator. And he believes, Travis does, that if Akongwu can be a good, a good rebounder defensively, he could be an all-defense kind of guy. And I, I agree with that. I think he has all the other tools. Obviously not a huge guy in terms of size at center, but his primary weaknesses on the basketball court right now are basically with no jump shot on offense and the fact that he cannot rebound defensively. And uh, if he fixes one of those things defensively, he can be a monster defensively. The, the tools are there. The instincts are there. His, uh, his his rib protection, even as a smaller guy, has always been pretty good. And, of course, his perimeter defense is excellent for a center. So um, he did keep expectations a little bit more manageable on Okongwu's jump shot. Okongwu kind of said, as we'll talk about later, that he just wants to have a jumper by next year, by the time you see him next. And I think uh, Travis talked about mid-range being kind of the logical progression there for Okongwu. Right now, he doesn't really have that in his game. But uh, he did talk about three-point range at some point for Okongwu being at least on the table. That's encouraging to hear from the guy who drafted him number six overall. And obviously, he's a big fan of Okongwu because he drafted him that high. But um, certainly not a, not a secret that he was uh, sort of praising him in this space. He also talked about the fact 
that it wasn't a secret that Trey Young had his, did not have his best series. Obviously, uh, he did, though, as I said before, echo the fact that Trey's going to work hard to uh, keep improving. And the uh, last one here on Travis, he got a question about whether this would be the core of the roster moving forward into next season after they sort of had a similar group the last two years, which was certainly an accurate framing in some in some ways. He did say, broadly speaking, as a GM or president of basketball operations would say that they're going to make the roster better, at least work to make the roster better. He did note, though, I thought this was pretty interesting, that they have more free agents this year, which they definitely do have, and that leads to overall turnover because at the very least, you've got to sort of you got to plug six or seven holes on the roster, and it might be re-signing to some of those guys. That's definitely possible, but you can't assume that for guys who are free agents. And as a reminder, the Hawks only have nine players under contract for next season out of 15. That's not a small number for an NBA team. It's not a huge number either. And also that includes Gallinari, who might not be back because he's on a non-guaranteed contract. So it might be eight guys that they are, are uh, bringing back in terms of just having those guys under contract for next year. They do have Shawnee Brown on a two-way deal, which certainly helps to plug that little hole. And also they have the ability to bring back Sharif Cooper on a two-way deal if they want to. Uh, but there are at least six roster spots that are going to be open on some level when you take out the free agents. And they can bring some guys back. I think DeLon Wright at this point in time is really the only free agent uh, that the Hawks have that is definitely more than a minimum contract kind of guy. DeLon is going to get more than the minimum. He should. He's better than that. But everybody else that's hitting the market, some guys might sign for a little bit more than the, medium, than the minimum, but you have TLC, you have Gorgie Jang, you have Skylar Mays, uh, et cetera. Guys that are hitting the uh, market in terms of being able to be uh, – Lou Williams might retire, et cetera. So they have some guys who are interesting players but not huge losses necessarily, but they have to fill those spots. And DeLon is the only guy that you might want to circle in terms of uh, guys who might command more than the minimum. Also, they don't have a ton of money to spend. We'll sp I've spent time on this a lot already in the last couple of months, but I'll do a little bit of a deeper dive later on in the offseason about the salary cap situation for the Hawks. But basically – if Trey Young makes all NBA as he is probably expected to do at this point, I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen, but he's, I think if I had to guess, he's going to. That adds six million to the payroll. Gallo's guaranteed for some money, and they have a lot of money kicking in. Kevin Herter's deal starts next year. Um, that's a much bigger number, et cetera. So, in contrast to previous offseasons, the Hawks are not going to have cap space. They are well over the salary cap. They are already basically up against the tax without doing anything different to the roster. So that's always something to keep in mind. And one of the huge questions of the offseason is whether Tony Ressler is willing to pay the tax. And that kind of filters down to every other decision that Travis Schleich has to make. Okay, before we get into the rest of the players, as well as Nate McMillan and their, what they said on Wednesday on the way out the door to the offseason, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online, and baseball is now in full swing as May approaches. And of course, the NBA basketball is still rolling on even without the Hawks playing. Postseason is here, and there'll be plenty of games over almost every night, really, in the next couple of months. And with that in mind, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting information and your sports information overall this season from all the latest odds, contests, futures, player props, exotics, and much more. BetOnline has all the latest developments in sports that includes podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season, not just basketball or baseball either. BetOnline has odds on all kinds of sports that includes golf and esports, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, hockey, MMA, boxing, cricket, soccer, entertainment bets, and much more. Future stuff is also available for football. That includes the NFL and college conference title odds, NBA, uh, sorry, sorry, NFL odds, also even NBA title odds. Everything is available for you on BetOnline, and they have all the live betting that you want and favorite casino games in the mix as well. Head to BetOnline right now on your mobile device or on your computer to learn more about all of the trends and the action across the sports world today. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, we'll dive back in with Nate McMillan. Uh, he talked again for like 20 minutes. A lot of that, if you've heard Nate speak, it's uh, 
there's a lot of coach speak in there. That's that's part of the that's part of the job. Nate's an old, an old school guy. He's not going to reveal a ton in this setting, but he did talk a lot. He did talk about the resilience that he thought the team showed throughout the season. He referenced the COVID absences and the injuries more than once in his discussion. That's definitely reasonable. He talked he started talking about the early part of the season and said again it was difficult for the Hawks to kind of start the season with guys who are key to the rotation starters rehabbing and recovering from injuries, not even having that full training camp with everybody around. And he did say a couple times he has a great deal of respect for the the guys on this roster for playing through injuries, always trying to battle, and I'm not even giving up down the stretch in that series as well. He alluded a couple times to the fact that some guys on the roster have undisclosed ailments or injuries. Obviously, uh, there's always the question of NBA injury reporting. It's not always the most thorough, in my opinion. But um, something to keep in mind from the outside is that even as someone as close to it as I am, we never know all of the issues that these guys have in terms of you know ankle tweak there, a wrist issue there, knee swelling, all that kind of stuff. It happens. Um, guys um, end up playing or not, but guys are not always 100%, particularly down the stretch of the season, which is something to keep in mind. He talks about the fact that Miami's a difficult matchup for the Hawks, even going into the series, which certainly is the case. I said that going in as well, especially facing that switching defense. I thought the Hawks were going to have more success defensively at times in that series than they actually did, but part of that's like personnel-based in some ways. He said Miami made the Hawks work for every little thing on offense, which is certainly the case if you watch the uh, series back. And he said on the plane coming back from Miami, he sat down and wrote out, even with the emotion of the moment, exactly what he thinks the team needs to do. He didn't show that, obviously, or uh, reveal that to the media, but he at least made that note, kind of in, uh, sort of made it a practice to do that at the end of every season. He was asked about guys who showed growth and talked about Trey first off um, from last year to this year. He talked about the fact that Trey had so many things thrown at him um, throughout the course of the season and was able to play at a high level, keep growing. That's definitely the case. I've said this before, but. I think Trey Young had his best season in year four, and he might have gotten the same attention for that as he has in some other times when he made the huge leap between year one and year two. It was a huge one, obviously, all-star starter at one point, but I think that Trey uh, had his most complete season. I know the playoffs are going to sort of sour that for some people, and I made the distinction um, on the podcast on Tuesday, like, look, both can be true. He was very bad in the series, at least by his standards and really by any standards in that series, but he was also incredible in the regular season. And I think he's now, it'd be different if the, if he was a guy who had never proven it in the playoffs, if he did not have last year's playoffs, we would have gotten a whole lot more angst. I think about Troy Young's performance in the playoffs, but because he did perform very well for three rounds a year ago and making the conference finals run a little bit less heat on that and justifiably so. So anyway, I thought Nate was uh, at least going out of his way to mention the fact that Trey made some growth this year. And uh, as far as the offseason is concerned, he, he said he told the team to get away from basketball early in the offseason and kind of get some rest and also to reset, but also to start making plans right now for how to get ready for training camp. Um, on the bright side, the Hawks don't really have a lot of lingering injuries. They have some, but not a ton going into the offseason. That's definitely a positive. And uh, Nate kind of get, he sort of reflected on this, but he said in his playing days back in Seattle in particular – they, a couple times when they got knocked out and they thought they had a good chance to make a deep run, would kind of keep working out until the finals were over to kind of like train themselves to play through the end of June or the middle of June. I'm not sure if the Hawks are going to do that, but Trey said something similar to that in his uh, his successions, but still have to have some time to get away from the coaching staff to the players, et cetera. Let's come back up later on. This has been a grueling two-plus year run for everyone in the NBA, but especially for a team like the Hawks that made a deep run last year, kind of in the middle of that entire run. Um I'm going to skip away from the X interviews for a second and because it's uh, kind of focused on Nate McMillan. People are asking me these questions about Chris Kirchner's piece um, after the game on Tuesday about Nate McMillan. There was some, some pretty explosive stuff in there, so I want to at least address that. And this, I always say this, this is not me picking on Chris. It's people, uh, people are asking me questions, so I'm at least going to try to interpret what he said. I've not talked to Chris about this or anybody else. Um, but the bombshell, if you want to say that in his piece, was that he wrote that a source laughed 
when asked if, if McMillan had support in the locker room, which certainly reads as if there was a little bit of question about that. Um, within the same paragraph, he said that McMillan's job security was not in question a couple of days ago, which, by the way, I would echo from everything I've heard. I think he's not been in any trouble whatsoever to this point in time. I will say that stuff can change in a hurry this time of year, If you get, especially if you get an owner that's emotional about stuff or some frustration at the front office level with how bad a series went and the Hawks did not play well in that series. He does have a four-year deal. Um, that's something to keep very much in mind. You know, a lot of the stuff with, especially with fans, like the coach is always the first to get blamed. I totally get that. I don't think Nate's an elite coach by any means, but I think that um, context taking a step back from that is important because you're one of a four-year deal. You don't usually get fired once things go very, very badly. And uh, we'll see uh, if you, you can sort of argue about whether that happened for this Hawks team, but uh you know, he was not reporting that Nate's going to get fired. I think if he were in trouble, he might have been fired in the last day or so. Could be famous last words. Um, that could maybe they'll have, have some, more, some more reflection and be able to do that. If I had to guess right now, I would guess Nate is not in trouble, but we'll see. Um, he also reported, Kirchner did, that uh, Trey Young was not involved in the huddle before the last play of the game in Game 5, sitting on the bench and uh, looking away from, from the huddle and what McMillan was saying. McMillan, by the way, did say after the game, uh, that Trey Young was the number one option on the final play that they drew up. And obviously that play did not really come together at any final in any actual way down the stretch of that game. Also, Kirchner wrote that McMillan's late game coaching was, quote, a sore spot inside the organization, end quote. And he cited an over-reliance on Trey doing everything in crunch time. This is not a new thing necessarily. Obviously, the quote itself about the sore spot in the organization is noteworthy, and that is new. But in terms of uh, my own analysis about like over-relying on Trey on the stretch, it's the case. I mean, part of that is the fact that Trey is their best player by a wide margin, and you're going to rely on him in crunch time. But it's also been uh, something that McMillan's kind of earned a reputation for dating back to Indiana and Portland. He's a very hands-off guy. He likes to do mismatch hunting and stuff like that offensively, but offensively, he's never been the most diverse, never been the most um, sort of innovative offensive coach. He's certainly more of a hands-off, let the players play, attack mismatches kind of stuff. And uh, it works sometimes. It doesn't work sometimes. It did not work at all in that series. Um from there, a couple more things on that piece from Chris Kirchner. Uh, he said that he sort of referenced the source from the organization speaking openly about how the Heat were a bad matchup for the Hawks explicitly because of the coaching matchup. Now, I said the same thing before the series. I said one of the problems in the series is that Spolstra is a better coach than McMillan by a wide margin. I still believe that. But I don't work for the organization. So it's certainly notable that a, someone inside the team somewhere, and he didn't say where or front office or what, but someone employed by the Hawks said the same thing, at least somewhat on the record, that's notable, let's just say. Um, for what it's worth, Trey did mention after the game, in game five, at the podium, that he's planning to sit down with, with McMillan to go over some of the adjustments the Hawks can make. And he didn't have, have to say that. So if he was trying to hang Nate out to dry, he didn't have to bring that up. So that's uh, I thought that was a noteworthy data point in Nate's favor, I suppose. But this is now me talking at the end of this uh, conversation, not, the, uh, not referencing the reporting anymore. But the way that I've said it before is, in my mind, McMillan is the same guy he's always been. Uh, last year, I thought he probably got a little bit too much praise for the changeover and the run they had. And certainly he did a good job and it is credit to him that they were on the same page. He does have strengths as an organizational leader. He got them to buy in last year and it worked. So that is certainly a plus in his column. I thought that he was a little bit um, overpraised for his tactical stuff last year, but he is highly highly respected in the NBA. Nate McMillan is a guy who people think is think the world of. He's a respected guy. He's been around for a long, long time. He's earned that kind of respect. On the, on the flip side, he's pretty stubborn. And I think he, I think I would describe him as below average in terms of like embracing the modern game and sort of stepping out, outside the box, being more analytical and also like being more innovative offensively in particular. I think that at the same time though, 
there is only a small group of coaches that I think in the NBA are huge difference makers in the positive sense. And Eric Spolstra is one of them. McMillan in my mind is not one of them. And that doesn't mean he's a bad coach. I don't, I don't think he's a bad coach. I don't think he's even like strong and below average. I think he's just kind of in the middle. I think really in general, there's a top tier. There might be a small bottom tier of guys who are kind of overmatched in their roles. And then there's a very large middle tier, which I think Nate is in. There are plenty of stuff to pick on, honestly, about Nate when it comes to lack of creativity on offense. Part of my job is to nitpick. That's part of the job of doing what I do on this podcast. So I'm not always going to praise Nate or I'm not always going to kill Nate based on what I actually observe, what I think. I'm going to give you my opinion on that. But I think that they actually lost some stuff when they lost Melvin Hunt and Marlon Garnett in the offseason as well. Those are always under-discussed. Assistant coaches don't get a lot of shine. But those guys were carryovers from, from the Pierce staff, which I, I assume is why they, why they didn't return. But Melvin Hunt in particular is well-regarded on offense for his stuff. Martin Garnett got a lot of praise for his work with the guards, et cetera. So those were real losses that they didn't replace. I mean, they replaced those guys, obviously not not the same thing. Those are actually just tangible losses. So all told, I think it's possible that something has changed in the last couple of days, but I would be pretty surprised if he was moved on from, I would have been shocked a few days ago, like before the series in particular, if he got, if he got fired. But again, the big thing is, Financially, it's tough to move on from McMillan after one year of a four-year contract. He, by the way, is also the coach in the NBA who has the fourth most active wins, and he's in the top 20 all time in wins as the NBA head coach. He has done a lot of stuff for a long time, and that, that, that respect factor is certainly in play. And for me, if you move on from Nate, you better have something lined up that's definitely better. Like It's hard for me to say they should move on from Nate McMillan without knowing that they have an awesome option lined up because really – um, I think the odds are if you move on from McMillan with no plan, you're probably not going to find anybody that's much better than him. Um, also, there's a flip side. If the locker room is lost, as we saw with Pierce, that was the big problem with Pierce is that I don't think it was tactically always that that bad. It was just the fact that the locker room was lost under his leadership. So I have not heard that about McMillan at this point in time. I think there's always going to be a dust up after you lose a series in that ugly of fashion. But all that said, I think he'll be under some pressure next year because the Hawks are going to have high expectations. Once again, when you have a superstar player and you have a, kind of a bad season, that's going to be the case. But I think right now, if I had to guess, he won't be moved on from. At least want to spend some time on that because I got, I got a lot of questions uh, about Chris's piece and what was in it after the game on Tuesday. Okay, with all of that said, we'll get back to the exit interviews and stuff in a in a second with the with some stuff from the, from the players who didn't talk, who did talk, a little bit of uh, sort of news and notes stuff at the end of the podcast. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Rock Auto, and Rock Auto has everything you possibly need in the auto space because the auto world has so many mixed models these days. It's basically impossible for your local chain store to stock all the car triplets that you could possibly need. And really, if they had them, you actually want to endure all the questioning that they might have for you behind the counter. They want to sell you what they want to sell you, and the warehouse happens to care what they happen to carry. But instead of doing that, you have access to rockauto.com at home or in your pocket. And that's a much, much better option. Why spend more for the exact same auto parts from a chain store or a dealership when you actually order them at rockauto.com? And Rock Auto is a family business. They've been serving customers for more than 20 years at this point in time. Rock Auto's prices are reliably low for each and every customer. They have everything you need for your car or your truck. That includes brake parts and tail lamps, motor oil, even carpet. And the website has everything you possibly want at rockauto.com. Go there today to see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And when you get there, you want to write locked on in the box that asks you how you heard about rockauto.com so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Okay, we'll start with who didn't talk. At exit interviews, and it's sort of interesting, like you're not required necessarily to do this. Some guys always seem to skip. There's always two or three guys I feel like on every team that I've covered that didn't do exit interviews. And uh, this year it was Lou Williams, Gorgie Jang, and TLC. Um, All three guys are free agents, which I think is probably part of the reason why they didn't come back and talk. 
and no huge roles for those guys on the stretch of the season. Um, I think almost everyone I have talked to is assuming Lou is going to retire. Um, I'm not sure that's going to happen for sure, but he talked about that pretty openly last year as a possibility. He is an older guy. He's not the same guy he used to be. And uh, even going into going into this year, before the Hawks even signed him, I was like, look, I can't imagine Lou playing anywhere other than Atlanta or L.A. And I'm not sure he'll come back to Atlanta after this year. He didn't play that much down the stretch. We'll see. Um, but if I had to guess, he will not be back and he'll be retiring, I would have to say. Um, Gorgie Jang is a very capable backup center type. I think the Hawks signed him for a reason. It's easy to forget now, but Okongwu was out early in the year and they had to have someone like Gorgie Jang. So they kind of over, not maybe not overpaid, but they paid him more than he probably could have gotten somewhere else for the insurance purposes of having that guy behind Okongwu and um, Capella. He's a solid guy. He'll be in the league next year somewhere. It might not be for the Hawks, but um, certainly someone to keep an eye on. And the Hawks, without stumbling at the Hawks running back, he's certainly a very, very capable third center if that's his uh, if that's his role on the team. And TLC is probably a minimum guy, but I think I've said this before. I think TLC is perfectly fine as like a ninth or tenth man in the NBA. He's not a great player by any means, but he can fill holes for you, um, play credible defense, shoot it a little bit. He's not a great player, but if you get him on the minimum, he'd be fine again on the minimum for me. Uh, you don't want him to play necessarily much, uh, as he probably did this year, but certainly uh, I'm not sure what the attachment level is there between the Hawks and TLC, but he made the team out of camp, and uh, i got to keep an eye on for the future. Okay, um, player side. This will be a little bit faster, a little bit less to get into than the uh, executives, but uh, Trey Young, he talked about being motivated by what happened, and he already watched Game 5 back for that motivation. Took some responsibility, I thought, uh, a, little, a little bit more so at extra interviews than he did after the game. Say he could do more. He didn't shoot well. It has to be better for the Hawks to be where, he, where they want to be. Um, that's definitely the case, but good to hear him say that out loud. He did say he's relatively healthy. Obviously, there was a lot of questions about that at the end of the series, the way he was kind of limping around after he had the hobble issue, but uh, didn't play well in game five, et cetera. But um, I think it's good that he's at least kind of healthy, and he said he might start working out right away again, which is uh, probably a good sign for the Hawks. He did talk about working more off screens, which is probably good to hear. It's something I said before, so I'll be interested to see if they actually implement that more, him playing off the ball next season. But for now, he did talk about that. And on a question about the roster and whether he needed some help or whatever the question was, um, he said that, he quote, we'll see what the free office, free office does. It's not, it's not up to me. I'm just going to go out there, play my game, be aggressive. Whoever I'm with, I feel we can win, end quote. So not a huge revelation there, but uh, he didn't like weigh in on what they needed necessarily on the roster. Uh, John Collins said that he is beat up, obviously, physically, but um, was still uh, doing anything he could do to help the team at the point of the end of the season. He said he put a cast on the finger today, at least as of Wednesday, to uh, do the um, sort of straightening out to heal that finger issue he's been having for a while. He has some devices there. He's, been, he's not been told that he needs surgery on the finger, but he'll be having some more guys look at that, doctors and uh, professionals look at that to see what happens there. He did, he did say that playing on it did not help, which I, you have to imagine that's the case on his shooting hand in particular. But uh, step one in his mind next year was to avoid the play-in. Obviously, that's kind of just implied. But he did say that the, 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 the two play-in games being kind of must-win, high-energy situations took a lot out of them, which is certainly the case. That's kind of underplayed. But it's also the fact that if you're the eight seed, that's, that's your punishment for being the eight seed. So all that said, he got a good question, I thought, from Bob Rathbun, front of the podcast, about mental fatigue that uh, the Hawks have been having the last two-plus two, two plus years. I thought it was a good question from Bob and a great answer from John also, just kind of pointing out that the difficulty of that short offseason – and just like having the COVID testing last year and not having any really any break at all for two plus years. I think it's going to be under discussed from the outside. Um, just how grueling this has been for not only the Hawks, but for everyone in the league. Um, but because they had that long run, they had a short offseason, et cetera. So something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, elsewhere, Capella said his knee was sore in the second half of game five. That's why he didn't come back in the game. But he did insist that he does not need surgery or a procedure on that knee. That would be a positive 
clearly they need him to be healthy going into next year. Um, it would be very big to have him have not have a not have a issue to deal with in the offseason, kind of have a major rehab that he's had to have the last couple of years, and he might start the season at 100 as a result of that. Um, he praised Trey a lot for figuring out the opposing defenses throughout the season. And he said uh, just candidly on the record that it'll be big for the Hawks to be 100% and be dialed in from moment one next year, which is not a huge revelation, but certainly uh, he's a veteran leader. So him saying that does carry some weight. Akongwu, um, the headliner, as I mentioned before, talking about Travis Schlenk, was that he said the next time anyone sees him, he will have a jump shot. That's an eye-catching quote from Akongwu, but it's a reminder that Akongwu will finally have an offseason to be healthy and actually just do some development work. If you if you're remembering this from previous years, so before his rookie season, he was injured. He was injured at the time of the draft. They knew that, but uh, that was the case. Then last year, he missed the entire offseason once again. It had to uh, not have a lot of development work. So the big thing in the NBA, especially for young guys, is that the offseason is when you do skill development. That's what happens. You need to have offseasons to actually get better off the floor in terms of like your skill stuff. And his jump shot has been a question for a long time. Not that he doesn't uh, he doesn't he doesn't have one now. But in the draft, I thought and people thought that he was going to have some room to grow as a shooter. And I think this is the one time you can maybe test that theory in the next few months as he has time to actually work on that. So he's got always got some weaknesses for sure because of his lack of size, but he's already quick, incredibly so on defense. And the jump shot is something to keep an eye on. But I think it's going to be very, very big for Kongwu in particular to have a full offseason for the first time in his career to actually craft his game. And I'm pretty excited about what he's going to be able to do uh, next year and beyond. Um, Hunter got questions about his, his, his possible contract extension without going all the way into it. He is the only guy on the roster. That's like the key guy in terms of potential extensions last year. Of course, it was Kevin Herter, which went all the way uh, deep into the summer. And then they got a deal done the year before that. It was John Collins who did not get a deal done, but of course was retained later on. Uh, he didn't say he had much in mind and said kind of, kind of we'll see on all of that, but his agent's going to be talking to Travis Slank, I'm sure in the coming days. Uh, as far as the extension is concerned, Hunter had kind of a weird, uh, I'd say below average season. So I would not be willing to pay him a ton in advance. My stance, if you're a new listener to the podcast, is that generally on these deals that are a year ahead of time, unless it's very team friendly, I don't want to do it if I am the team side because the risk the risk reward is not that huge. I think last year, Hunter's extension was pretty good value. So I didn't mind it from the Hawks. I think, he got, I think they got a pretty good deal on that. And if Hunter would sign that kind of deal, then sure. But I think he's going to get more than that if he gets a deal. So we'll see what, what the number is. But I'd be pretty cautious in getting giving him a ton of money right now. Instead, letting him prove it next year. And if you got to match a deal the following offseason, that's what you got to do. Um, he said he's had a back issue recently that was bothering him quite a bit. But he did say his wrist and knee problems that were plaguing him for a lot of the season are no longer problems, at least in his mind. That's, that's definitely a plus right now. And as far as the on-court stuff... He said he's not been great at anything in his career so far. He he, he did acknowledge that. He wants to work on, uh, in, in particular, ball handling and ball control in the offseason. That, I would say, is certainly a good thing to work on. I think he's had a lot of ball handling issues so far in his career offensively. He did say that if he couldn't work out a ton in his ball handling last summer because he had the wrist issue. That might have affected him. That's certainly something that I haven't talked about a lot. It's probably a good thing to point out is that Hunter's wrist was a problem. So we'll see if that actually changes things. But at least he said the right things to be working on in the offseason. From here, a couple more guys to hit on, and we'll get out of here, I promise. Um, Kevin Herter, not a whole lot for him individually, kind of just working on three-point stuff and, and also working inside the arc. He did say he was working on a goal this year, a 40% from three, and he shot 39%, so not quite there yet. But he also had career highs, by the way, in scoring, um, effective field goal percentage, true shooting percentage, usage rate, etc. So he, he had his best season, not like a huge, huge jump, but he didn't have to have a huge jump necessarily to justify a modest extension that he got. But, um, yeah, he's feeling good. 
going into the summer, which is obviously good. He'll have some time to work on some stuff as well. He's still a young player, kind of like a Kongwu, obviously a little bit lower, older than that, but certainly a full offseason of health there will be good. Bogdanovich, not a ton there, but he said he was focused on getting healthy and getting ready to go for training camp and use the heat as examples, as, as I said before, of a team that got swept last year in the first round and was able to come back and uh, rectify that, saying the Hawks can do this sort of a similar thing after this kind of disappointing end to the season. Uh, DeLon Wright and Gallinari are the two guys who are kind of free agents. One of them is one of them is definitely definitely free agent. Gallo may be one, but DeLon did say kind of plainly he wants to be back next year. Uh, he doesn't have to say that. He did say that it's a business, of course, but he wasn't sure I was going to play out. But he did say he at, at times this year, especially early in the season, he had some frustration with his role. And I don't blame him. Uh, the Hawks did tell him to be patient, and he ended up um, having what he called a sigh of relief, end quote, to uh, be able to play in a clear role in the playoffs. I thought DeLon should have played more all year and said as much the entire way. I think I feel justified in saying that, the way he played down the stretch. But we'll see if the Hawks bring him back. They can. They have his bird rights. They can pay him anything they want to pay him. Anything they want to pay him. But the tax and all that stuff is in play. So we'll see what kind of offers he has elsewhere and whether the Hawks make him a priority to bring back next year. Gallinari um, said he's uh, not hurt, which is a positive going into the offseason. He'll be 34 in August. Lots of miles in those tires, for sure. But um, it's a bit of an odd situation for Gallo in general. Not a whole lot of, like, you know, earth-shattering revelations from him in his in his uh, exit interview, but I think it's just kind of worth just saying out loud, like, he might be back on a full contract, $21 million. If they waive him, it's $5 million guaranteed. If they want to do that, they can, or they could also waive him, pay the $5 million, and then also sign him to the mid-level exception if they want to do that, which will be, be a little bit cheaper. They have some options here. We'll see. But uh, Gallo might be a free agent. We don't know at this point. As for the young guys, before we get out of the podcast, um, Jalen Johnson said he wants to play summer league. That's obviously, I think, good to hear if you're the Hawks. I think there's definitely an assumption there for me anyway that he'll be playing in Vegas because of how well he played this year. And by the way, he might be a prime candidate for the summer league uh, guy who is too good to be there and plays a game or two in Las Vegas and then gets shut down next year. We'll see. Um, he also said, uh, and also Nate said this after the fact in his, in his press conference, that um, they were excited to see him in summer league. And he also praised Jalen for wanting to spend some time in College Park. And I uh, thought that was good um, to have him down there to play a lot of minutes and also showing maturity and wanting to do that and wanting to be on the court. And he did say plainly he'll have a chance to earn rotation minutes next year. So we'll see how that all plays out. But clearly, Johnson is in line for a bigger role potentially if he's if he has a good summer and goes into the season. But uh, we'll see. I know, I know people wanted him to play more this year. That's been a talking point the entire way. But year two could be a big one for Jalen Johnson. Uh, Sharif Cooper will be a free agent uh, at the end of the season. Which is now obviously he didn't uh, offer anything huge other than just kind of being thankful for being drafted by his hometown team. Obviously, um, Nate said he was impressed by his growth in the G League as well. Um, as a reminder, though, Sharif only signed a one-year two-way contract, so all the Hawks have to do to retain his rights is to offer him a one-year two-way contract again as a restricted free agent. So that might be all he's on again, but they could try to sign him to a multi-year NBA deal. We will see how that all plays out, but I think he'll be back in some form. I'm not sure what kind of deal it's going to be on, but right now. He's going to be a free agent, so that's something to keep in mind. And again, the Hawks can match any offer, so don't worry too much about that. Um, Skylar Mays, similar situation. He, he, got, he, of course, got his deal um, promoted to the big league club at the end of the season. He's going to have a minor procedure on his shooting hand, he said, so some recovery time necessary there. McMillan really praised Skylar Mays a lot in his presser, saying he helped the team a lot being a pro around the squad, um, giving them some practice time, um, a good body to practice against, basically being around the team all year long and being a, a very mature young player and having real value for Mays and for the team about him being around the team all season long. Again, though, a free agent. So the Hawks can bring him back. They have to offer him at least the minimum to make him restricted free agent. Um, so it's not as easy as just signing him to a two-way again. 
but I think Mays would be a good guy to bring back on the minimum if you can do, if you can do that. Um, I think Mays is a rotation caliber guard at this point in time. Not a great player at this point, but certainly a guy who has some value, some versatility, et cetera. I've always liked him quite a bit. They can't just offer him a two-way anymore, so we'll see. But he's a free agent as well, and uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, lastly, before we get out of here, a, a brief look ahead to the future timeline this offseason. Obviously, it's April 27, 28, as I'm recording this. Uh, Travis Schlenk did say that they're planning to start draft, draft workouts next week. So we're very close to that actually happening. That, kick, that kicks things off. The lottery is in mid-May. No impact on the Hawks there because they are not in the lottery, but something to keep an eye on. Of course, the NBA draft combine is before that. Um, that is something the Hawks will definitely be involved in, keeping an eye on players. And then the early entry withdrawal deadline is June 13th. So the draft pool is kind of set as of June 13th. And the draft itself is June 23rd. So we're less than two months away from the draft. The Hawks will be picking at 16 and 44 in the draft. Decent picks there, especially 16, of course. And then free agency, June 30th. Summer League, July 7 through 17 out in Las Vegas. And then the very quiet period of offseason is actually um, after Summer League. So right now, we're in the offseason. It's definitely the busy part. Um, not a whole lot of like break here. It's kind of just draft stuff. And then we'll get into free agency and Summer League. And then things really do actually slow down in late July into August, which is the deadest month of the NBA calendar. So all that said, plenty to get to on the podcast and we'll be here all the way through. Please subscribe to this show. Please find us on whatever audio platform you choose, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, etc. Please follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland if you would like to do so. And uh, as far as programming is concerned, no, no, no more shows until next week. I am actually traveling for a family wedding over the weekend. So uh, unless there's a crazy emergency, no, no podcast till at least Monday. But uh, best way to find the, to find the podcast always is to, is to subscribe to the show. And uh, I do appreciate all the support. We'll see you next time. It'll probably be May by the time we talk again. So uh, stay tuned and we'll see you then.